the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Well, there is truth to that little Sunday school hymn. Living the resurrection life is what we'll look at next here on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to our program. As we celebrate Easter throughout the week here on Abounding Grace, we'll do so mostly in 1 Corinthians 15. And today we return to the first 34 verses as we look at a message called Living the Resurrection. If indeed there is a resurrection, then it should bear out in our lives as we live in light of it and because of it. For the details, let's join Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. I recognize our world does not love Christians. It hates them and wishes we were dead. And there is a certain extent, beloved, in which your attitude has got to be like Lot's. You see, we think, we often think Lot, well, he should have left Sodom and Sodom before he did. Well, maybe he should have. But there's another side to that. Because I believe in Second Peter where he says, He vexed his righteous soul every day. Lot was living there. But he wasn't a participant in the corruption. He was living there maybe because he had material and economic reasons why he didn't want to pull out. But he never got comfortable with it there. He vexed his soul every day because he recognized, even back then, friendship with the world, his hostility toward God. And Jesus says, if they hated me, they are going to hate you. But again, we can't hate back. This is one of the reasons that I'm troubled with what's called the religious right. I believe arguments between Democrats and Republicans create an artificial us against them when they're really both on the same team. You see, our role as Christians in this world is not to choose sides in the battle for the city of man. Because that is what they are building, a city of man. Let them build Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians are all building the city of man. And my response as a member of the city of God is to say, listen, all of those foundations are crumbling. It doesn't mean that there are not individual Christians involved in all of this and doing some good. So please, brethren, don't misread me. What I am saying is, is I don't want to introduce this thing to me where I say he's a Democrat, oh, I hate him, he's the enemy. Or he's a Republican, I hate him, he's the enemy. Libertarians, the enemy, I can't stand them. Hey, I'm supposed to love my enemies. And yes, there is a certain degree where we hate God's enemies. 
But we need to be real careful in defining who God's enemies are. Just because we don't share, they don't share my political agenda, that doesn't mean they are one of God's enemies. I could be wrong. They could be wrong. We could both be partially wrong. The point here is that for the, the believer, we have to recognize our stance toward the world is different. That's why the Bible constantly warns us, we are a peculiar people. Now, peculiarity doesn't mean you dress different. We don't have to look like the reconstruction of the little house on the prairie set. That is not peculiar. That's just being weird. Nor is being peculiar. The world does that, so I'm not going to do it. Or I'm idolizing some point in the past because that was a high culture. That is not peculiar in the biblical sense of the word. Peculiar in the biblical sense of the word means set apart for God and seeing things through the lens of Jesus was raised to the right hand of the Father. There are two cities vying for power. The city of man, which is already in principle being crushed, and the city of God that is rising up by the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I realize that the more consistently that I live by the city of God, the more the city of man is going to not love me very, very much. Now, I know some people want detente. I know some people feel that if we participate in the process, we'll be able to change things. I ask you, is that working? No, participating in the process of the city of man will only build the city of man. That's all it'll do. There's only one thing that will demolish that city, and that is as we recover the antithesis between light and darkness, Christ and Satan, the church and the world in its rebellion against God. Now please understand, the world's influence is not in the things that are easy for us to pick out. You know, Satan doesn't come at us like the grim reaper. He comes at us with, hey, you know, be a little looser. Just a, a little bit more tolerant in your moral convictions. Now, now, don't be so dogmatic. You can serve God. Just put it in its proper perspective. It doesn't need to be all-consuming. So the thought process just gets a little bit worn down. The consistency with which we think God's thoughts after him, the moral tolerance gets a little bit broader. Our religious indifference gets a little bit deeper. The world is perfectly happy, brothers and sisters, for you to practice your faith as long as it does not radically change your stance towards it, the world. As long as you'll still be a participant, as long as you aren't so radical, the world will leave you alone. But understand, Paul states it in black and white, evil company corrupts good morals. Do you believe that? The church has really struggled trying to learn this lesson. Remember, 
how the church, the religious right, got involved in the Republican Party and what happened. They both became defunct. Evil company corrupts good morals. Christians, let's take over the public schools. Let's take over Hollywood. Again, evil company corrupts good morals. It doesn't mean these medians are intrinsically evil. But we have lost the moral antithesis. This is one of the reasons parents and older young people need to be on guard when they go to work in a place where there are unbelievers. You've got to be careful. I think most of you adult males can attest to this. How many of you men in the business world are around men and women who will say whatever they need to say to get a product sold or move up that corporate ladder? And so many in the church begin to think they've got to do business this way as well. They feel like they, you know, they don't want to go all the way. I mean, maybe I can just blur the line a little bit so I can compete. Evil company corrupts good morals. And these things are broadly applicable, and it is a warning to us. There is also, of course, in these verses, a call to righteous living. But some say righteousness takes us back to the law as if that's a bad thing. You know, I thought we were under grace now. No, we're sinners. And in the background of grace, God gives us the law so that in faith we can express our gratitude by obeying his law from the heart. Now, let me ask two questions of verse 34. Awake to righteousness. Why and how? Why? Because we live in the days of Jesus' resurrection. And we must take this seriously. Romans 6, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ's death, we are also baptized into his resurrection? Christ died to the power of sin so that we might rise to newness of life. And beloved, you are in him. You see, the ultimate reasons, reason believers live righteously is because we are united to the power that does not come from us. We are united to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in an organic, a living organic communion of grace, life and love. And he never says, oh, you know, you know, I'm kind of watching you. Are you ever going to earn your way up to my team? Beloved, if you are on God's team, it is solely because a power came into our lives. The power of the triune God that we cannot produce, that we cannot earn, that we cannot intellectualize ourselves into. It is solely the work, the gracious work of the living Christ uniting us to him. And then in his power and by his grace, he enables us to pursue righteousness. You see, that's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not if you love me, you'll eventually get around to obeying my commandments. If you love me, you might feel your way to live by them someday. No, beloved, it's a blanket condition. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John fourteen twelve. You are my friends if you have real warm feelings about me and you're convinced in your heart of hearts you're doing the right things. Is that what it says? Of course not. John 14, 12 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
Why? Because Jesus becomes your, when Jesus becomes your friend, he changes you from the inside out. And whereas before you had no appetite for God's commandments, now you have a strong taste for them. Or whereas before you had no power to keep them to resist sin, now you have power, his power, by his spirit in your life-producing holiness of life. Now, how do we awake to righteousness when so many around us are sound asleep and when we have had so many failures in the past? Now, I know if you're like me, you've heard sermons before from me and other preachers. You need to be righteous. You need to be righteous. And you know, you get all pumped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be righteous. And then two days later, it's like I've already failed a million times. So what's the point of even trying? So let me remind you of something. When you hear a sermon and you get really pumped up about something, do you want to differentiate true religion from a religious feeling from false? Here's the way. False religious feelings say, oh, wow, that was exciting. I was so stimulated. That preacher finally did his work this week and preached something that kept me awake. So I'm going to bear down. I'm going to get to the nitty-gritty. I'm going to get to the task, and then you fail. I've learned over the years that when you are really confronted with the truth of Scripture in a powerful way, in a saving way, that is from God. And it always leads me away from saying, what am I going to do? And it always leads me to Christ, my Savior. I can't do anything. Oh, I want to do it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is impotent. It leads us to run to him. Why pursue righteousness? Why do we have to awake to it? Because of Jesus' resurrection. How do we awake to it? By running to Christ. Let me make it real practical. You hear from me today, awake to righteousness. And you go home and you think on this this evening and you realize there are all kinds of ways you are asleep in sin. What do you do? Oh, you may feel guilty. You may moan for a while. But you may say, oh, Lord, why do I have to go to that church? It makes me feel guilty all the time. No, instead of thinking like that, you say, Lord, if you have been raised from the dead to empower me, and to awaken me to righteousness. I need your help. And I'm going to stick close to you. I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to be on my face before you saying, Lord Jesus, do in me what I can't do in myself. I want to live in the power of your resurrection like Paul prayed. I want to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. That is the only way that we can be conformable to his death and participate in his life. The only way we can be righteous, the only reason we can maintain the antithesis between the church and the world is because Jesus reigns at the right hand of God the Father and empowers us. One last thing. The whole point of these verses, 29 through 34, if you wanted to remember it in one simple sentence, and actually I've already said it, what you believe about the future is going to impact how you live in the present. Now, I could run with that in all kinds of directions. 
If you believe, for example, that Jesus is the king and that his kingdom is going to make progress and the gospel is going to be successful, you would set some direction for your life. Things like, I want to evangelize. I want to tell people about Christ because I know like Paul, like God told Paul about Corinth, God has many people in this city. And God has many people in this world. And I want to tell you, tell them about Jesus. I may not be called to full-time missionary work or to be a preacher, but I know God wants us all to be part-time evangelists. And if you believe that Jesus is the king, and that he's going to reign, and he's going to build his kingdom on righteousness, you are not going to be bamboozled by the offers of politicians. It is amazing to me how the religious right and all of its followers are falling all over each other to push the next rhino candidate. Maybe Jeb Bush. Maybe Ted Cruz. Maybe just like they did John McCain and his policies of bloated government and ungodliness. Why are they doing this? This type of nonsense is not going to lead us to Christ's future. Christ will establish his kingdom only on righteousness and truth, not ever on conservative humanism and corporate interest. Now, as believers... It doesn't mean we're not involved. It doesn't mean we're not praying for our leaders. It doesn't mean we don't support godly candidates whenever they come around. And it doesn't mean we don't battle against unrighteousness. But it does mean that all of our involvement in this area, in the present, is directed by the knowledge that Christ's kingdom is going to be built on the truth of His Word. And Isaiah 51.5, the isles will wait on my law. Not John Locke's natural law, not public opinion, but God's law. So this is where and how I have to direct my activities and why it is absolutely necessary I know the word of God so it can direct my steps in all areas of life. Now, on a more personal level, and with this, we'll be finished. You know, we're all going to die. What are you going to do when you die? Is your life going to follow after you as a testimony to grace and righteousness? If you're old and you live a long time, and you're bitter as you look back on life. and There is remorse and regrets. Are we going to bemoan? I didn't do what I should have done. I was so immersed in getting stuff and more stuff and bigger stuff and better stuff and shinier stuff that I just totally missed the main point of life. I missed the main point with my children. It wasn't to control them. It was to set before them a picture of life in Christ so they would naturally want to follow it by God's covenant promises and the grace of His Spirit. How do you avoid that? Well, remember, you will be raised from the dead. And assuming you die before Jesus comes, you're going to open your eyes in the presence of Christ, and your focus will be transfixed. 
I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine that moment. You won't be looking around for your loved ones, trust me. We so sentimentalize heaven. When I get to heaven, you know, I'll have all the time I need to visit with this person or that person. No. If you want to take time to visit with someone, you better do it now. There is one person you are going to be transfixed on, and little else will make much difference. Now, I'm not sure our minds will be totally wiped clean of our former memories. And we may ask, why didn't I serve the Lamb of God? Now that I see his glory, now that I see his brilliance and his beauty, and as I reflect on his sacrificial life on my behalf, why didn't I give myself to him more? And why didn't I pursue righteousness more diligently? Don't ever let that be one of your regrets. Ask God to give you that sight by faith now. I want to see the Lamb in his glory. You need to read the book of Revelation, especially the first five chapters. You need to read Paul's shorter epistles like Galatians and Philippians. In Galatians 3, we are exhorted to constantly set our minds on things above where Christ is. Why? Is it so you can be irrelevant here on earth? Absolutely not. So that filled with the sight of the Lamb, you can pursue righteousness on this earth. That, beloved, is the only thing of importance to be empowered by him, encouraged by him, helped by him in those dark times that come to all of us? Is that what your future vision is? I'm going to see the Lamb. I'm going to be raised. I'm going to hold Jesus. And I'm not talking about some sentimental 20th century romanticism here, beloved. If you remember, Jesus touched people. And if you don't think that you'll be touched by him, you don't know him. Jesus went around touching people. Jesus touched lepers. He touched the blind. Because Jesus knew the power of human contact. He took himself on him, our nature, our flesh. And you will see him And you will be able to hug him. He will touch you. And right now, I want to see him by faith and pursue that righteousness, knowing he is the risen king at the Father's right hand, and he holds all power. I am nothing. He is everything. Beloved, awake to righteousness. Beloved, how you view the future is going to control how you live in the present. Everyone, listen, everyone in this room will see the Lamb. Will you see him as the tender and merciful Savior and Lord? Or when you see him, will you cry out, Rocks, cover me. Earth, open up and swallow me. And hide me from the wrath of God. No, run to the Lord right now and cry out, God, cover me with the blood of Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I know it. I need the only one who can deliver me, the risen Lord and Savior. Have you cried out like this?
You need to. If you do not know the Lamb today, this sermon will gnaw at you on the day of judgment. And it will gnaw at you forever in the flames of hell. Oh, I had the opportunity to embrace the Lamb of God and to live for Him, but I rejected Him because I wanted to live for myself. You know, Jesus didn't fix and fit in my little box, and I lost the opportunity, and I am suffering in hell forever. But don't. Beloved, He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest unto your souls. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 